Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope. Okay, top 10 predictions of 2010. This is not a David Letterman thing, so don't worry about that. But here it is. Number one is this. The Bible will still have all the answers. That's good. Number two, prayer will still be the most powerful thing on earth. Number three, the Holy Spirit will still move. Number four, God will still honor the praises of his people. Number five, there will still be God-anointed preaching. Number six, there will still be singing of praise to God. Number seven, God will still pour out blessing upon his people. Number eight, there will still be room at the cross. Number nine, Jesus still loves you. And number ten, Jesus will still save the lost when they come to him. Hey, that's great, isn't it? Those are nice things. So you you all can rest now. You know, if you were worried about what the future held, then I hope these ten things help you. Because it's all in the Lord's hands, it's uh, it's great to remember who really is in control. We've been talking about the flow of history, the control of history, and that God has everything in control. We've been dealing with that. We've been talking about this, and that's a good thing <clears throat> to be reminded of. So I want you to remember those things. And along with that, every year we want to remind you, at the beginning of every year, that we do have a devotional that you can be part of to read through the Word. If you're not doing a daily Bible reading, we want to encourage you to do that. We have a, a new, uh, like it's a book, a bookmark. You can get this. I think they're at the information table. You can get this. And this has daily reading and devotions for you. We've added a little bit to this. Um, we've, we've added an acronym to this. Some of you are familiar with, with this. The acronym is SOAP, and that is Scripture Reading. Then you make O, Observation, A, Application, and, and uh, P, Prayer. So it gives you kind of a pattern when you're reading through the Bible. You can stop. You can journal. Some of you I know already do that. Uh, but this is a great way to start the year 2010, Touchable Jesus, Touchable Church. And there are a few uh, few uh, instructions on this that will help you. So get this before you go today. We are doing this in a quarterly fashion this time around. And I believe it's going to take us how long in this quarterly fashion? Two years, is it? I think it's two years. And so that's uh, my that's my pace. Everyone knows you're going by my pace now because I tried to go by everyone's pace for a while. One year, can't do it. I mean, I, if you're like me, it takes a little time, especially when you read through, you write notes. You think about it. it. takes more than one year. I'm not a fast reader at all by any stretch of the imagination. So this helps me when I go through the Bible and I take my time. And for you that want to take three years, go right ahead. You can do that. For some that want to do it in one year, you go ahead. Uh, we just want you to have a good pace. And so uh, we really do. We want you to enjoy that. But do that. If you haven't already done something there, if you're not in a process or a, <clears throat> a daily reading process, reading the Bible, uh, start now. It's a good time to start. So we want to 
we want to help you do that. I want you to pull out your bulletins. If you have your bulletin, uh, you can pull it out and open it to where normally the sermon section is. Do you see where that's at? If you don't have a bulletin, that's okay, because what I'm doing right now won't, won't really matter to anyone here altogether, ultimately. You see the message there? Um, I decided early this morning, about four this morning, that that would not be the message, that there is actually another message. Now, you can use that to take notes on, but just strike out the points or leave them for next week. You can bring your bulletin back if you'd like. But uh, we're going to go somewhere a little different here today. And one of the reasons is, is because um, I really felt that the Lord wanted us to lay a foundation beginning the year. Uh, we were going to jump right into Touchable Jesus, and I think that's great, but we're going to we're going to wait a little bit. We're going to start next week in that series, and that will go on really uh, until the end of the summer. Uh, so what we're wanting to do here is just lay a foundation. In fact, um, I had this thought in mind this morning about, I think it was three or four in the morning, and I woke up and I just kept remembering this phrase, and it was in reference more to our men's breakfast this morning, our men's gathering. And so I brought this word to our men, went home, talked to Annette about it, and we both agreed this would be a good thing for all of us probably to hear today. And uh, you can take notes on that, but I want to talk to you a little bit about condition for the mission. Uh, you, you have a year ahead of you. We, we don't know what that's going to look like. We've read ten things that we know are going to always be true. But in your personal life, you're not quite sure what all of that looks like. You do know that God has a purpose for you. If you don't know, I'm telling you that right now. God has a purpose for your life. That God has a mission for you. He has a plan for you. And the thing that we want to talk about today is the conditioning for that plan. There, there's a conditioning process. You know that. You, you see that in, in athletes. You see that in artists. You see that in disciplined lives that people know to, in, in order to reach a goal, if you deal with finances, if you want to retire, there's a discipline. I mean, you want to retire well, you have to follow a particular discipline to get there. There's a conditioning process. And that's no different in our spiritual walk. In fact, Paul told Timothy, it profits you somewhat to train physically, but it profits you a whole lot to train spiritually. And that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about a few things that really has to do with some of my own testimony. Uh, many of you know and you've heard over and over again that over the last six weeks I've been in a conditioning process. I had an ACL reconstruction of my right knee. I was serious about it. I wanted to get it done. I wanted to condition myself to make sure I did this well. I did this right. One of the things that I haven't talked about is what did I do before that and what have I done since then? Before I went in to have the surgery, I wanted to make sure that I was pretty fit. Because I know this, if I don't go in, I'm going to lay longer and I'm going to spend more time on the couch. I mean, I just know that's going to happen. It's my inclination to do that. So what I wanted to do was take a month or two before I went into surgery, condition myself so that I'd be ready to get on to the men, to get, to get healed up. Now, there was another motivator. It wasn't just physical. You can't just be physically motivated and, and, and get something done. There has to be layers of motivation, I think. That, that's just true for me. And I'm goal-oriented. If there's a goal in front of me, then that's, that's what I want to do. I want to accomplish something. <clears throat> well, back in September, I got a call from a good friend. And this friend said, I want to do something. I want to take you and a few of your buddies. I want to, want, want to take you to North Carolina 
and, and Duke and North Carolina are playing basketball Wednesday, February 10th. And after that, we're going to play golf for a couple of days. Well, you know what? You don't have to say anything else to me. I mean, when, when I heard that, I thought this is a great way to get motivated. So when I went into the doctor and he asked, why are you doing this? I said, one reason is there's a lot of pain. The other reason is I want to go to a basketball game and play golf in February. And he goes, OK, you're on. And so and so there was something in front of me and thank the Lord for that. And then Rick, our sound man, gave me a box of Titleist golf balls and I set them. My, my wife will tell you they sat there on my table the whole time I laid on that couch. And I said, OK, this is getting me where I need to be. But we need to all understand what that looks like conditioning in our own lives and going into this year. How can I be conditioned in Luke chapter two, the gospel of Luke chapter two, uh, verse 52? There, there's a commentary that's made about Jesus Christ. There's something that's said about the Lord uh, when, when it deals with his growing up days, his growing up years. And I think it's a great commentary. It, it summarizes a little bit about what the Lord was, was about on this earth, on planet earth. It says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. How did he do that? I mean, that's a great thing to say about somebody's life, but how did he get there? I hope you know this. I hope everyone understands that the Bible is amazingly practical. It just doesn't leave you hanging out. It doesn't just say spiritual things like this and then drop you cold. The Bible will say things like this, whether it's about the Lord, whether it's about something that has to do with our life, or even the Old Testament patriarchs and matriarchs. It'll say something, but it'll give you a way to get there. And that's what I love about the Bible. That's what's always enticed me, always encouraged me to follow the Word, is because there are things there that just aren't left out here in theology. They're not left out here in space, but they can be brought into my life and I can learn from them. So when I read this in this scripture, the question that I always ask, and maybe you do the same thing, is I say, Lord, how did that happen? That's a good question to ask. How can this be said about the Lord? Because I want this to be said about my life. I want this to be said about my family and my friends, the people I hang out with. I would love this to be a summary. Of, of a life I live and Jesus increased and maybe you can put your name there. I don't, I think that's okay. I'm not sacrilegious to do that. And, and Ron increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. That, that's a good resume to have any time in your life. It's a good resume. But how do I get that accomplished? Well, I want to talk to you about a few things tonight. And if you're taking notes, there are two aspects to this that I want to share with you. The first has to do with God's unseen conditioning program. That, 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 those are the things that happen in our lives that we don't always pick up right away. Because it's, it's part of a, a, a grand scheme. Not only a grand scheme in our own life, but how do our lives fit other people's lives? That's hard to see for anybody but God. God sees that really, really well. God knows what's going on in your life. He knows what's happened in your life. He knows what's happening and he knows what's going to happen in your life. He is the master planner. He knows all that. So there are times that he's working that we, we don't see. It's not all that obvious. But if we pull back for a little bit, we think, wow, there's some patterns here lately. There's a season I'm going through. Maybe you can say the same thing. And may, maybe, maybe you can say this is a season of blessing. And that's great. Maybe you're saying this is a season of discipline and you're thinking that's not so great. It's just not comfortable. I know the product of discipline is always going to be good. The Bible gives me that promise, but it's never fun. It's never it's never it, it's not exciting sometimes in life to go through those things, but they're necessary. 
the word says he disciplines those that he loves. So it is part of our life. It's part of what we deal with. And it's good for us to, to, to pull back. And this is the time of year, I think. It's a time of year. It's a great time of reflection and taking notes. And saying, Lord, what are some of those things that you've been doing in my life that maybe I haven't seen altogether? They haven't been so obvious, but I know you're at work. Because they are things that are important. They are things that we should understand. We should take time to understand. And so God does have an unseen conditioning program for you, just like he had for Jesus. And that's where I want you to, to, to look right now. What I want you to think about right now, because we've used Jesus as our model, the best model we can use, best example we can use. What was going on in the life of Christ? How did Jesus get to some of the places he he got? People said, well, he's God. Well, he was man, too. I mean, there are things there. He understood. He lived through the things we've lived through. He's been tested, tried. And and there's pain and suffering that he dealt with that we deal with as well. And so there's a lot of similarities here when you look at his life. And one of the things I think about when I think about the conditioning process that God had for Jesus, I think about what the prophets said in the Old Testament and what Jesus even said about himself in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20. Do you remember what he said? He said, you know, he's talking to a disciple that wants to follow him. He says, you know, uh, uh, fox have their holes and birds have their nests and trees, but the Son of God, the Son of Man, has no place to lay his head. What, what's he saying? What's he telling us? He's saying the Son of God is homeless. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have a home. I don't have a place to, to go. I don't have a place to call my home. And typically when we think about that, and I mentioned this several weeks ago, but when we think about Jesus being a, a, a homeless, when we think about him wandering intentionally, preaching the gospel, we do know, and tradition tells us, and it's very reliable, that he spent his time in Capernaum or Capernaum in Peter's house. And that's that because it says here that that's where he came and went from. So he had a home base, but it wasn't necessarily his home. All of us need to have home. We need to have that. We have it in our heart. You have it in your heart today. You're not going to even think about it. But did you know you have a GPS that leads you home? That when you when you leave here, you turn out of that parking lot. You're, you're not. I don't think you're coming to my house. If they do be ready. OK, we'll get along. We'll get out there. You're going to go probably to your house, ultimately somewhere tonight, a long way. You're going to get to your house. You won't even be thinking, I'm headed that way. It's something that's in our heart that wants to head that way. God has put that in our lives. He's put that in our heart. Jesus had that. And I want to tell you what this really means. When we think of Jesus not having a home, we usually think of his ministry time, his ministry season period. Three and a half years, his last three and a half years on earth. But I want to tell you something that may, I hope makes this even even more powerful to you. Jesus was virtually homeless his whole life. You see, the story of Christmas tells us that Mary and Joseph were headed. They were on a pilgrimage to Bethlehem because a census was ordered. Why were they going there? Well, you got to go back to Joshua's day when children, the children of Israel were given, the tribes were given land. This was the land given to the tribe of Judah. Even in Israel today, Dirt and blood are equal. We don't even have that drive in our hearts. Not, not like they have in the Middle East. Not like what they experience today. There's a drive. There, there's something there that values the dirt that they live on. 
the dirt that they grow up in, the dirt that they plant their crops in, the dirt that they make a living off of. They pay for that in a tremendous amount and have in a tremendous amount of blood. In fact, when we were there last March, our tour guide was so good to bring us up to the Golan Heights. And many of you remember the Six-Day War in 1967 when Syria and and, uh, the allies of Syria attacked Israel. And, and this, this, this tour guide gives us this beautiful story about the miracles of God during this six-day war. And there were miracles, amazing miracles. Well, in the back, there happened to be people who lived in Israel, standing and listening to the story. And when our tour guide was done, he said, this man tells the story right. He's blessed my heart today. I fought in this war. I was right down there. And there are still old tanks, rusted tanks sitting up. They don't want to forget what they paid, the price they paid for that land, for their home. And we said, well, how important was that to you? And he said this, I would give up my house in Haifa, which is a coastal home. I would give up my house in Haifa before I would give up the Golan Heights. That's how important it is to me. You see, what happened when Jesus was born is that Herod, the king at the time put a decree out to kill all newborn babies two years and younger because he was threatened by the fact that there would be a messiah another king would take his place so this edict goes out god tells joseph in a dream get out of here get out and go to egypt as quick as you can and what does he do jesus was maybe days weeks at the most months old they pick up stakes and they move they take off to egypt they stay there for a while, a season. God comes the same way. And a dream says it's okay to go back. As they're going back, Joseph fears again because it's now Herod's son who's worse than Herod. And he says, I don't want to. I don't like this. I don't like the way it feels. So where do they go? They don't go to Bethlehem. They don't go to Judah. They don't go to the land that was theirs, that was promised, where home is, where their GPS was probably leading them. They go make a home, uh, uh, find a house. They live in Nazareth. Not not their original, not their birthright home, not their lineage, but Nazareth. Why? Because they couldn't go back to this place. Jesus didn't have a home. It wasn't just his three and a half years of ministry that he was without a home. It was his whole life. And you have to ask yourself, what was God doing? What was he doing in the life of Jesus? Something, Something you need to pay attention to. I need to pay attention to. You know what's happening here? One of the things that's going on is God is conditioning Jesus Christ. He's got him in a, a discipline, a, a conditioning program. You know why? Because Jesus was going to be without a home for three and a half years, so there's this, here's a training going on. It's not real obvious all the time. Even maybe for us to talk about it right now is the first time some of us are even thinking about that, thinking, yeah, wow, I can see how God did that. I can see what he was up to. It was the unseen, in a lot of ways, the unseen hand of God working in the life of Jesus Christ. How many things is, has and is the Lord working out in your life right now that, that, that may not be the most obvious, that, that does, it deserves some attention? And, and if we took a little time and reflected on that, we may see some things. We may find a timeline. We may even see a pattern in the way that God is working in our life. Let me say this to you. I urge you in this next few days, this next week, would you pull away with the Lord and look at that? Because He does have a history with you. And I want to tell you why it's so important. 
history, when we know history and we have a history and relationship with God, it brings security. It anchors relationship. You know that. And if we need anything today, we need to be anchored in relationship right now and especially with Jesus Christ. You need to know the history you have with him. And I'm saying all this to say this. He has a history with you. Ask him to show you that. Ask him to give you a glimpse of what that looks like. Did you know the Lord had a history with me? Had a history with you before you even knew him? He knew you before you knew him. You know, I I think, well, I came to know the Lord. Aren't I great? Look what I did. I found the Lord. I didn't find the Lord. He found me. In and of myself, I have no ability to come to that place and ask for forgiveness. If it's not for the work of, of God in my life, if it's not for the work of His Holy Spirit, there's no conviction of sin. There's no confession of sin in my life. There's no turning. There's no repentance. It was Him. He sought me. And He's seeking you. He seeks us. He knew us and had a history with us even before we recognized that. You see, we think our history starts with Him that day. And I think we need to know that day. That day when I received Jesus Christ on April 12, 1965. But He has a longer history. And He has a, a, a history with you that, that you need to inquire about. I don't know what all that is. This may be a little homework. And you thought... I just came to church. I didn't want any homework. This may be a little homework for you. To say, Lord, would you help me see that? What has your history been with me this last year? I've written a few things down. I've thought about a few things in in the history. Not just even this last year. I mean, that's the the, the closest year to me and you. But even in the last few years, Lord, what's the patterns? What's your history with me? What's been going on? You've been conditioning me for a mission. He's been conditioning you for a mission. He's conditioning all of us for a mission. Isn't that wonderful to know and realize that we're not just left on our own, but there is something here that God has in store for us. But there's a conditioning program, a process that He's leading us through. And I'll tell you what, it's a great thing when you begin to see glimpses of that. You see that. You recognize that. You say, Lord, I can see that. I recognize that. Thank you. Thank you for that. And write those things down. Write those things down. Say, this is where I see your intervention, your conditioning program on my life. Here's where where I recognize that. And maybe it came through hardship. Maybe this last year it came through a very difficult time, a personal time, a relational time. Maybe it came that way. But nonetheless, and you all know this, He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Did you know your bad times don't scare Him away? Do you you know that your sin doesn't even scare Him away? He doesn't go, He He doesn't get spooked when He looks at you. He stays there and the Bible says, I have a friend that stays closer than a brother. And that friend is Jesus Christ. You have a friend that has a good history with you. Ask yourself the question, Lord, what is that history? What has it been? Talk to me about that. And I know, I know that I know, the Lord is going to show you that. He's going to help you know that. So we have, what do we have here? We have the unseen conditioning program of God. And that's an example to model in the life of Jesus. We talked about that. But we also have God's seen 
conditioning program. It's the things that are the obvious things that are happening in life. You know, and you usually, can I tell you how that manifests itself? It usually manifests itself in character transformation. You know, making us more like Christ. And that's hard. When I say, ah, it's not, ah, I wish he wouldn't do it. It's, ah, it's hard sometimes, isn't it? He's making us more like him. It's character transformation. Those things seem to be the obvious things. Dealing with a weakness in my life. Dealing with a sin in my life. Dealing with things in my life. Those are not always easy things to face, to confront. But we know, even if we don't tell anybody, we know God is up to something because he's made it clear to me. He's bringing it to me. So what is what is it that God is up to that he's bringing character transformation in your life? Now, when I say being like Jesus Christ, uh, I may state the obvious to some, but I'm going to say it anyways. It's in character, not in divine attributes or attributes. Now, what do you mean by that, Ron? Well, I'll tell you what I mean. When we're to be like Christ or to be transformed into his image, it's not that we can be all powerful and all knowing. We don't have those qualities. We don't have those attributes. It's being like him in character, being made like him in heart. That's the transformation. Oh, that I want to be like him. That's what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. That I may be like him. Let me be like him. In his suffering, in his, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. Let me be like him. And that's what we're asking. And you see that happen. And you know that most of the time we're acutely aware of that kind of process. That is a conditioning program that God has you in right now, and it's undeniable. You know what's happening. It's real. It's sitting on your front porch. It's in your living room. It's everywhere you go. You're reminded, thank the Lord, that he doesn't give up on us. And I heard somebody say this, and maybe you heard the same thing. It's the hound dog of heaven. Just staying on our tracks all of the time. Just making sure that we know that we can be conformed, we can be transformed into his image. That there's a character transformation taking place. Now, what is that transformation that we need to look at? I I think, and this is what I want to say about the life of Jesus. When I look at his life, as we've looked at the unseen conditioning program of God in the life of Christ... What, was the, what were the things that were going on that we can look at and recognize and say, wow, the Lord was really, this was, these were the qualities of the Lord's life. And I'm going to talk about three qualities that I don't know we talk about all together when we talk about the Lord. We talk about them maybe independently and about other people, but when we talk about the Lord, I'm not so sure. But the first that I think of is courage. I mean, I think of the courage of our Lord Jesus Christ. To stare down death and live, and not only live, but be triumphant in staring down death. That takes courage. Now, 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 in the human application, I want to say this. Maybe you've heard me say this before. That courage is not the absence of fear. And I want that to be very clear to you because most of the time, well, let me say a lot of the time, when God asks you to do something, when there's a mission in front of you, the first human emotion or response you have to that mission or that task is what? It's fear. And if you deny that, you're, you're not telling the truth because it is. It's repeated. Did you know And I said this? The most often repeated phrase in the Bible, God speaking to man, is don't be afraid. And this is what I love about the Lord. The Lord will even say that before we confess it. 
look at the conversations that, that God has with some of the patriarchs in the Old Testament, some of the leaders in the Old Testament, when He came and said, okay, Joshua, I want you to do this. And by the way, don't be afraid. Joshua never said anything. He didn't confess that. You know what's happening there? It's just the grace of God to cover us, to keep us. So we don't have to maybe say that. There are certain things the Lord just says, you know what? I know this about you. In fact, I know this about a lot of people. I know that when I show up and I give them a mission, that they're usually shaking in their boots. And that's, that's the human response to to hearing God tell you to do something. And the reason I'm saying that is because if there's some of you waiting around for fear to leave to do what He's called you to do, you'll never do it. I've heard people say, well, I just, I, I want to, when the fear goes and I'm really courageous. No, it doesn't work that way. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is believing that God's word, that His deed, that the power of the Holy Spirit in us is stronger than the fear. He that's in me is greater than he that's in the world. So if you're waiting to be fearless, I don't know who you're talking to. And I don't know what books you're reading. But it generally doesn't happen. That God says, listen, this is a great test of faith, even in your fear that you're stepping out because because what you're saying, what you're communicating is you believe in me. God's saying that you believe in me. You trust in me. Even in your weakness, you trust in me. What's the weakness? Fear. Fear in my life. In fact, I told you this. There's a mechanism I have that when the Lord tells me to do something and the first emotion, like all of us, is fear, I want to do the opposite of what my fear tells me to do. Just behaviorally, I want to do the opposite. I kind of grew up that way, playing sports. Always the smaller guy on the team. They said, you couldn't do it. They wanted me to be afraid. And I said, oh yeah, I'm afraid. I'm shaking inside. But you know what? I'm going to run at you. Because my fear tells me to run away from you. But I'm going to run at you. Sometimes you get bloody. Sometimes it's not all that pretty. But you know what? I'm going to tell you something. There's an overcoming that takes place in our lives when we say, Lord, we trust in you. We believe your word. We will fear not. That we want to do what you've, caused, you've called us to do. And Lord, you have modeled that for us. You walked into this world when you didn't have to. You dealt with all the trials, all the temptations, all the pain, all the suffering. That is a courageous person. Amen? And that's something I think today what we're looking at. These are qualities I think we apply right now. I mean, all these are great, but right now, boy, we have to be courageous today. You know, newsflash, and you already know this, is not getting any better. So we need the courage of God's Spirit in our life. The second thing I think about here is generosity. I see that in the Lord. And right when we say that, typically we think, of our monetary wealth or value. Listen, that isn't even close. The Lord didn't have, remember? He didn't have a home. He didn't have a place to lay his head. Remember all those things? He didn't have a lot of monetary things. He didn't have anything. Really, pretty, I mean, that, you could say that. So what does it mean when we talk about generosity in respect to the Lord as a quality or a characteristic of the Lord that we can model? Let me tell you what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about your time, your talents, and your gifts. I'm talking about being generous as the Lord was generous with His time, His talents, and His gifts. Do you know there's a story in the Bible? Really, there is this story. You can look it up. 
I think it's in Luke and don't quote Luke chapter seven. But you can I got another another cue you can punch into your Google Bible if you want to. It's uh, the Syrophoenician woman. Do you remember the story of the Syrophoenician woman? She came to Jesus with her daughter who was demon possessed, and she said, "Lord, cast this devil out of her." But right before the story starts, it says that Jesus was doing something. You know what he was doing? He was on vacation. Now, that's my translation, but it's the literal translation. He was taking a break. He was on vacation. He went away. It says that he went up somewhere, and maybe it was a retreat he went to, a place that he knew about. But he went up there, and he was interrupted there. But what happens is that a mother sees her daughter delivered from a stronghold in their life, in their family, because Jesus was on vacation and was generous with his time and generous with what God had given him. So what does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? This is what it means to us. You are going to have interruptions in the next week, two and three and four, and you're going to, you're going to think they're interruptions, but they're divine interruptions. You're going to be saying, oh, I'll just take a vacation. And you want to take that vacation and something happens. You go, wow. And you try to avoid it. And the more you avoid it, the more it comes at you. And you think, what's going on here? That's God. I know this is something I want to get a hold of. And how do I do this? I want to be generous with my time. I want to be generous with my talents. I want to model and I want to be molded in the character and fashion of Jesus Christ in that way because he was the best at it. He was perfect at it. So when the next day, and it will come, and the next few days come, and the next few weeks and months of this year come, say, Lord, would you teach me the character, the quality of being generous, that I can have generosity in my life like you did with my time, with my energy? You know, I'm going to tell you, it'll cost you more to give a little sliver of your time than it'll cost you to give a dollar. It'll be more inconvenient. See, sometimes it's just easy to pop a buck out. To do this or that. No, the Lord's going to say, I want you to, I want you to give of yourself. And that's what he did. He did that very well for us. So when we think about the, 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 the immediate, the, the seen conditioning program of God, we certainly know and understand, okay, courage is there. Generosity is there. And then the last thing that I want to talk about is wisdom. Wisdom is there. Say, well, I don't have any wisdom. Well, you have to read James 1.5. Write that down. James 1.5. If you, well, I don't have any wisdom. The Bible says in James 1.5, if you don't have wisdom, ask God and God won't hold that back from you. He'll give you wisdom. And I made this connection earlier and I'm going to make it again. We need wise people today. I'm talking about wise people in our communities. I'm talking about praying for wise people in our government. I'm talking about praying for wise people in our world because I'm wondering just a little bit. Where are the wise people? Where are they? Is their voice just being muted or we don't have any? I think we have wise people. But I'm not sure if they're bold enough. I'm not sure if courage is growing in their life. You see, you have to have these work together, don't you? So I want you to do this, Lord. Help me with wisdom. And again, James 1.5 says, If you don't have it, ask Him and He'll give it to you. Listen, the Lord wants you to be wise. He was wise. And we, we go back to the scripture and Jesus increased in wisdom and he, and he, he increased in stature, he grew, and, and he increased in favor with God and with men. 
What a great combination there. It's covered all the bases. So when you're praying and you're saying, Lord, and maybe it, maybe it, maybe it's not these characteristics. Maybe there are others that the Lord has convicted you about. That's good too. Take these with you. But know what he's up to there. There's the seen hand of God. And this is what I want to do. I'm going to invite you in just a moment to the Lord's table together. And you did this uh, a similar thing last week. But we do this at the end and the beginning of every year. We take communion. I want you to do this. I want you to bring a card forward and put on there. what, what Answer the question, what do you want God to work on in your life? What is it? Maybe it is wisdom. Maybe it is generosity. Maybe it is courage. Maybe it's something else. I don't know. And I'm going to tell you, I want you to just write that down. And that's just a form of confession. It's just saying, I'm going to do it. No one's going to even read those. We're not going to even pray over those. You don't even have to put your name on it. It's just something to bring over the Lord. When I say pray over it, sometimes we'll take them out individually. Like We're not going to do that. We're just going to take those and pray over them. Lord, grant the desires of your people's heart. Take their character and shape it. Put them in that conditioning program. What is it that you need God to do in your life? Where is it that you know He's taking you? But put on a little white card when you come up for communion. Just put on there, answer the question, what do you want God to work on in your life? I'm going to put generosity. I want to learn how to do that better. I'm going to put that down. Maybe there's other things that you want to put down. Maybe, And it doesn't have to just be one. Maybe there's two or three things. But you start to write those things down. And while you're doing that, let me give you instruction today in, in the Lord's table. What we're going to do today in just a moment is we're going to come to this table and we say bring three things with us. Bring ourselves, first of all, as a living and holy sacrifice to the Lord. And maybe you don't feel that way, but it is the way God sees you. You are a living and holy sacrifice and bring bring yourself and secondly uh, bring a, a, a prayer request and one of those is what we're talking about right now that you can put right in there uh, maybe you have a praise report you can put that in there as well uh, put those in there right put those in there today and then the third thing for those that call this home this church their home their home church you bring you we bring our tithe and offering it's something we do we bring our gifts to the Lord our monetary gifts we do this this time of year just to say, Lord, and and this time of month we say, Lord, we want to do this and we want to honor you with our side. This is the way we worship the Lord. So when you come to the table, remember the Lord. The Bible tells us to remember the Lord when we come to the table. And I'm 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 making I'm going to bring something to your attention that some of you already know that we also not only have this table, but we also have uh, two tables right in the back. For those that may, you know, in the larger services, people are standing in line. We're just providing a place for people to go. And also, for people who may need to bring the elements to someone who can't get to the table, you can go right back there and get those elements. We also have the, the place where you can bring your tithe and offering, your cards and anything else. You can bring those and put those in the red box that's right back there at the, at the table. But we come today and we want to remember the cup represents the blood of Jesus Christ. Would you remember that? That it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's what the Bible says. That it's the blood of Jesus that does this amazing, incredible work in our lives. And we say, Lord, we just want to thank you for your blood. Your blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We want to remember that. And this is a great time to remember that. It is a wonderful time to remember that. So when you take the cup, you can remember this represents the blood of Jesus Christ. When you take the bread... Remember that it represents the body, the broken body of Jesus. Not just the whole body, the broken body. Because the Lord was broken for us. That He chose to be broken. And that 
His conditioning process, his program, led him to the cross. That's the program God had him on. God has you on one. You can identify with him and say, Lord, thank you. I know one thing. I need to be broken in order to follow you and to really, really be in your conditioning program. I need to follow. I need to be broken. I need to follow you. And then the Apostle Paul gives us great instruction about communion. And he talks to us and he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is for you, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you just bow your heads with me? Would you do that? Father, we want to 